Well, we've reached somewhat of a milestone here today. This is episode 150 of the Juice Box Podcast. We are sponsored today by Omnipod and Dexcom. Dexcom, of course, a continuous glucose monitor that I base most of what I do with Arden around, and Omnipod, a tubeless insulin pump. You heard me, tubeless insulin pump that Arden's been using since she was four years old. We love both of them, and that's why they're sponsors on the podcast. Later, you can go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox or dexcom.com forward slash juicebox to find out more. Also, there's going to be links in your show notes. At the end of this episode, I'm going to give you an update on Isabel Meehan. I was talking to Isabel's mom this morning, and I've got a little bit of an update on how her health and her recovery is going. If you're interested, it'll be at the end. As always, please, 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 please understand that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice medical. Otherwise, always consult a physician before making changes to your healthcare plan. I don't want to under or oversell today's episode, but let me just say that you might not know the name Molly Fickner, but Molly was the catcher for Alabama's softball team. There are only a few really intense places to play collegiate division one softball, women's softball. Alabama's one of them. You really need to be able to play to be there. Molly did it with type one diabetes. I can't explain to you why. If I explain to you why you need to listen to this entire episode, then I would just have to repeat the episode. But just let me say that I know I say this a lot. Let me let me go back for a second. I say this is a great episode, but you have to understand I recorded this months ago. And now just recently, I've listened back for editing to take out like, you know, when people bang on desks and cough and things like that. So you guys don't have to hear that. But as I do that, I get to listen back through the episode. I'm telling you. I'm proud of this podcast. I'm proud of Molly. I am proud of this episode. I hope you love it. This is episode 150 of the Juice Box Podcast, Process Over Outcome. My name is Molly Fickner. I'm an assistant softball coach at East Carolina University. I played at the University of Alabama softball, graduated in 2014, played in the pro league for one year for the Dallas Charge, and I have been type 1 diabetic for 13 years. How did we meet, Molly? I forget. Like, I, I know what happened after we met, but do you remember how? Did I reach out to you? Yeah, I think you reached out to me. It was shortly after the World Series, my senior year. I remember we had just lost in the national championship, and I think it was about a week later. I was about to start summer school uh, for my master's degree, and I remember you had reached out to me, I think via email. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm remembering that somebody contacted me. Because I was doing a lot of like writing at that point, and I was putting a lot of stuff on Huffington Post, and somebody contacted me and said, "Hey, Alabama just like came in second in the in in you know the college softball World Series. I think their catcher has type one diabetes." And I was like, "Oh, all right." And so awesome. I picked around a little bit and figured out where you were, and then you were kind enough not to yell "stranger danger" when you got the email, and uh, and then we then we sat and spoke, and I just remember thinking. I don't know how spectacular that was. Like, I think for some, <laughs> for some reason, Molly, and I, this is probably completely unfair, but you, you know, having diabetes and doing something that intense is, of course, really impressive. But I know for me, your height is what made it impressive to me <laughs> in the beginning, right? Like in the very beginning, before oh. I knew anything about you, I thought that girl's catching for Alabama. She's like, she's saying she's five three. If she's saying she's five three, is she even five <laughs> three? You, you know, because. Who says they're five three? Like that's a easily five four lie, right? So, so uh, yeah. how tall are you really, Molly? I'm actually about five two and a half. Yeah. So I, I do that. round up to five three. <laughs> but it, but it's just I, as odd or as unfair as it is, like that's the first thing that occurred to me because I can <laughs> tell you that a couple of summers ago, my son was down in the south. I think he was in Georgia playing baseball, trying to get somebody interested in him. And he came up to the room. We were staying in a hotel and he came up to the room and he goes, I just met a freshman downstairs, a girl who committed to Florida to play softball. 
And I said, she's a freshman in high school? And he said, yeah. I said, wow, that's crazy. He goes, not if you saw her. She's like 6'1". And, and I, was like, I was like, right? And, he, and she goes, really blonde. And I said, those Florida teams only take blonde softball players. It's probably nothing to do with her height, you know? And so if no one's ever watched a Florida – you know what I'm saying. If no one's ever watched a Florida softball, collegiate softball game, it's like they found nine models who could play softball and put them on a softball team together. Yeah, right. absolutely. And so, absolutely. But anyway, so – I just always, because in baseball, it is very much like that. Like my son's 5'11". He, I don't think I'm overstating, has D1 baseball skills. But D1 schools don't particularly care because he's not over six feet tall. You, you yeah. know, like it's just sort of how they think about it. So, Absolutely. I, you know what I mean? So when I heard you were 5'3", and then I imagined you were 5'2", I, <laughs> I thought this girl must really be able to play, you, you know? So, um, so, so tell me a little bit about, I guess, you know, you don't have to go too far into it as a really, as a really young kid, but what's the first thing that attracted you to softball and how did you make it to play in college? Because that is very impressive to do with or without diabetes. Yeah. I mean, obviously I think growing up, my parents always said, Molly, you were born with the ball in your hands. I, I just, I always loved sports. And I just had a passion for it. And I remember I played every single sport known to mankind, probably until I hit about 12 years old, 13 years old. And at that point, that's when I was actually diagnosed during my basketball season when I was 12 years old. And at that point, after I, I got really into softball, I think I was 13, actually. And my dad sat me down. He's like, you know, Molly, I want you to choose a sport and I want you to go after it. And at that point, it was just softball. I just absolutely love softball. And I do remember, I mean, obviously my height was, it was, it was hard because I, I did get a lot of feedback from college coaches that said I was too short to play for their program. And obviously that, you know, trying to explain to a 15, 16 year old that you're not going to play at my college because you're too short. I don't have any control of that. It, it was, it was, you know, it, it hurt. Um, but I had a coach come up to me one day and he said, you know, Molly, he goes, even though you're five, two, all you got to do is play like you're six, four. And I said, okay. And then I did it. And, you know, fortunately it worked out. I, I went to a Texas school. I'm originally from Houston and I got recruited to university of Texas, San Antonio, played there for two years, had, had a wonderful experience and then I transferred to the University of Alabama and I played for Patrick Murphy for two more years. And I think the cool thing about him was he never worried about height. If you could play the ball, and he always talks about it too, he says, the cool thing about softball is height doesn't really matter. And you can be successful and, and things like that. So, I mean, I, I really lucked out in my career. But like I said, there was obviously, you know, the, those people that, you know, kind of said the same thing that your son was dealing with in the sense where, you know, you're too small to play for my program. You're a catcher and you're a power hitter. Well, why would I get you at five two when I can go get someone at six foot that has 60 pounds on you? Um, you know, but that was just one of those things where, you know, the more, the more people said, no, I was like, all right, fine. I'm going to work my butt off and hopefully I'll, I'll prove to you wrong one day. <laughs> it's such a great example of how people just think there's a way that things have to be done. Mm -hmm. You know, like, well, you need to be this tall to do this, or you can't, you know, we can't have a kid out here with diabetes doing this. Like, it's too hard. Yeah. You, you know, like, like I, I wonder if people realize how much in the world is said and repeated and, and done just because someone did it before them. No one even wonders if that was correct when that person said it. Yeah. You, you know, you don't you don't wonder where this thought originated from. I know some pretty stupid people. I bet you <laughs> I bet you were doing things right now in the world based off of the the harebrained idea of a person who if you had 5 minutes to talk to him, you'd think I would never take their advice. Yeah. You, you know, and and so and it just it, it just proliferates and goes on and on to the point where and I totally will not mention the program, but my son worked out this past summer for a team and I said to him, "Look, it's a it's a one double A school. I said, but they can't win a baseball game to save their life. I said, but maybe they'd just be happy to have a kid who could play baseball. And he went, yeah. worked out, the whole thing, same story. Wish we were a little bigger, blah, blah, blah. You know, th that was it. And so we went to the trouble of finding some of their games online. 
and the game and and we watched a couple of innings and I'm going to tell you these boys came out and they were prototypes. They looked like if I said to you Molly make a baseball player, you would make these boys. They were 6 <laughs> They were 62, they were 190 pounds, they were strong, they were pretty, they looked good in their uniform. And then for three innings, I watched them not be able to field a ground ball, not be able to diamond. <laughs> they couldn't catch a fly ball. They weren't baseball players. Yeah. They were just really big athletes. And, and, and I thought, okay, that's and – th- and what I told my son was, that's how this guy sees it. You're not going to change his mind. Yeah. Go somewhere where they will appreciate you and, and flourish there. You, you know? Exactly. And that's exactly what he's been doing. Um, but to kind of relate it back to diabetes a little bit – I do see things like that a little bit too. When you're when your endo's telling you this is how we do it, you know you can't have a pump until you've been injecting for a year. Why? I don't know. It's just they don't. They never say I don't know, but that's what they're thinking. They go, I don't know. That's what we always do. You, yeah. you, you know, like that. That's just that's the plan. That's how we do things. You need to challenge those things. When someone says something to you, it doesn't sit right in your gut. You have to stop and say. Is there a good reason I'm taking this person's advice? Because everything in my head is telling me that might not be correct. Maybe I should look at this a little differently. Um, exactly. And I'm assuming you had to do that a bunch of times, not just with the softball, but then, I mean, you were playing with, it's not like you were playing with, I don't know what gear you use now. Are you pumping? Do you have a CGM? Do you have anything like that going on? I Yep, I have a pump. I have a, the Tandem, the T-Slim mm-hmm. pump. Okay. And so, but when you were playing, you were probably just injecting and had Yeah. Exactly. When when I was playing, I was only on the injections, uh, the pins, the Novolog pins, and then I obviously just always have my meter with me. <laughs> <laughs> how often? How often? Because it's so you're not just playing softball, which is incredibly intense, but you're doing it in Alabama where it's hot and it's humid, right? Mm-hmm. How how many times do you remember thinking to yourself, "Wow, I need to go find out what my blood sugar is," or? Like, do you ever have, have you had those feelings while you were playing and how did you handle them? You know, honestly, I I feel like I'm pretty blessed in the sense where I know my body really well. Um, So even if I'm at 90 and I'm running around, I'll absolutely feel myself already and be like, okay, I got to go get some Gatorade for the rest of practice, you know, and things like that, Um, which, I mean, like I said, I'm very blessed with that because a lot of people can't really feel it till they're about 60 or 50 and then they have to sit out for 15 minutes. Um, but I also had great athletic trainers, uh, who even when I got distracted and I, I wouldn't remember cause you know, I feel fine. They would be like, Hey Molly, come here. Let's test. Let's see where you're at and things like that. I think the biggest thing that I'd struggle with, honestly, cause, cause you know, it's kind of just a regimen after a while. It's the same thing every single day. My body gets used to it. I think the hardest thing was on game days, uh, game nights, I had my adrenaline would just go out the roof. And I remember actually one one particular example, we were, it was at the College World Series, and this was my first game. We were about to get off the bus to warm up to play the University of Oklahoma, which of course, playing the University of Oklahoma in Oklahoma City uh, it's basically about 8,000 fans cheering against you and about 2,000 cheering for you. <laughs> so that's just, you know, yeah. home crowd advantage. And this was my first, obviously, like I said, my first College World Series game. And I tested when we were on our, our charter bus going over, and I was about 170. And I was like, okay, not a big deal. I'll probably drop a little bit after warm-ups. I'll be good to go. And once I warmed up our pitcher – it was about 25 minutes till game time, and I'm warming up the pitcher in the bullpen. And my athletic trainer comes over, and she's like, hey, Molly, let's test real quick before the game. And I said, okay. So we tested, and I didn't feel, like, super funny. I mean, I, I felt a little out of it, but not crazy. And my blood sugar was about 340. And it was literally just the adrenaline that hit me. Like, like, <laughs> like hit me like a freight train because I was, I was so excited, and I was so pumped to take the field. And I was like, what the heck? Because I didn't have any Gatorade. I didn't need anything. It was literally just, I was so excited for this game. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I remember thinking, okay, how much insulin do I take? Because after the game, when my adrenaline goes down, I might, you know, plummet and I might go low. So I remember I think I took like half a unit maybe, which isn't that much. And as soon as we got started by the third inning, I was back in the 100s. It was the craziest thing. Yeah. Now, I, we, 
have to bolus for Arden's adrenaline a lot, but Mm -hmm. you can't because you're trying to stop that spike, right? But at the same time, what if it doesn't come? What if she's just not excited about today's game or nervous? Like I've talked about it all the time. Like if you take Arden out in the backyard and her blood sugar is 150 and she runs around like crazy, her blood sugar goes down. If If you take her out in the backyard and the running around includes keeping score and she feels like that's important and she wants to win, her blood sugar goes up. So yeah. yeah, so she's a competitive person. She wants to win, and 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 that brings adrenaline. And then you have to bolus for adrenaline. But just like you said, the amazing thing about bolusing for adrenaline is the minute the adrenaline's gone. And I really almost mean the minute it's gone. You know, maybe yeah. maybe ten minutes, maybe fifteen. If the insulin's still in there working, there's nothing holding that insulin up anymore. It's 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 amazing. Uh, exactly. It's crazy. And then you have to feed the insulin after that. So yeah. how do you? We had a um, this summer. Arden was playing in the Little League World Series uh, tournament. They made it all the way into the regional round, and they won New Jersey. And they actually they came in fifth, I think, in the region by the time it was over. They had That's a, awesome. Had a great run. They had so much fun. And but my goodness, did her blood sugar get low every night they were in that regional tournament? And it and it wasn't the just like oh a little low. It was the low that you fed, and then the low looked at you and went. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that just sat there, and, you know, like the 50 blood sugars where you're like, well, I've given her enough food and carbs now, or her blood sugar should be 7,000, but it's 50. And, yeah. then, and then you would drift up and you'd think, okay, you'd be shutting off basils and everything. Does that happen? Did that happen to you frequently? And how do you handle that when you're by yourself? Yeah, so I actually, uh, I there was a lot of times when I was in travel ball and the same thing happened to me. It was always at night, you know, you play all day. Then you go out for a nice dinner, and then I'd go home, and about 9.30 at night, right before I, I hit the bed, oh my gosh, it was 70 or 60. Right. And and it was, you know, it's kind of a pain in the rear end in the sense where, okay, now I have to stay up, even though I'm exhausted, I need to stay up and make sure my blood sugars are normal, or I'm waking up every 10 minutes to test. Um, so it just, it just comes with it. Um, but as far as, like, just in general... I, I've been living, I, I mean, obviously when I was at Alabama, when I was in college, I always had roommates. And once I left Alabama to go up to Dartmouth to start my coaching career after my year as a volunteer at Alabama, I lived by myself and living by myself. I think the big thing was I, I kind of had to get to know my neighbors a little bit um, in the sense where if I ever needed anything, I could obviously have them right there for me. Um, I, <laughs> this, this kind of, funny to say and um hopefully nobody judges me for this but I'm 25 years old and I text my mom every night and every morning when I wake up just so she knows that you know all is good you know I'm heading to bed and things like that and she'll know when I wake up and sometimes if I get to text her when I wake up she'll text me or call me at 11 o'clock and she's like are you up are you okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) just just to check on me but I also you know I, I know that gives her peace of mind especially with me living by myself um, and things like that. Um, I do remember. I, I, go on. Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. About the texting her. Is yes. It, is it a mutual thing? Is it something you do for her? Yes. It's it's absolutely more for her than it is for me. Okay. Um, in the sense where I I had a friend in high school who passed away in the middle of the night, and it was two weeks after our graduation. And he was obviously type 1 diabetic. He had gone low in the middle of the night, passed away. And I remember at that point, it, it obviously scares you when, when, that, when stuff like that happens because, yeah. you know, that, were, that very well could be any of us, you know, just going to sleep and then just not waking up. And after that, I, I knew it took a toll on my mom and she was a little bit more worried than she ever was about it. And so at that point in high school, that's just what I did. I, I just, you know, obviously I was living with her. And then that summer when I went off to University of Texas, San Antonio, that's when I really started doing it all the time just for her. Um, and, you know, of course, I love my mom, so I'm going to talk to her. But, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where she knows I'm OK and, and things like that. Now, if I get a roommate you know, because I did have roommates. I still did it just in case. Now, granted, my mom always had my roommate's numbers um, for for that kind of stuff. So I'm just imagining you up at Dartmouth telling your neighbor, hey, listen, if you feel like you hear a book hit the wall, 
that's not a cat knocking something over. I need your help. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, geez, right. I'm like, I remember growing up, I had, because we had a two-story house. So after I got diagnosed, what my mom and dad did was they put, because their bedroom was downstairs and mine was upstairs, and they put a big old bell right on my nightstand. So if I ever turned over and I needed them, I'd just ring the bell as loud as I could. That's amazing. And, and they would be up there, you know, in two seconds. But, and of course, you know, my mom, I'm like I said, I'm still 25. And when I go home for Christmas and stuff, she'll, and she does it to me and my sister. She'll like randomly like walk in in the middle of the night, just make sure we're breathing. And I'm like, <laughs> mom, okay, this is a little weird. It's, well, I, it's funny. We were I was talking to my, because my son's getting ready to go to college next year, and we were having this conversation about something, and I told him, I said, you know, I, it's hard to imagine. It really, it sounds sort of like a platitude, but it, it's hard to imagine before you have kids that you really do get up every morning and think that, you know, this is my, my sole purpose on this planet is to make sure that kid's happy and doesn't die. Like, that's pretty yep. much it. Like, that's, that's exactly. what I'm trying to accomplish. And because what is it, what is it that, you know, I don't know, what does my life become if my children suddenly disappear? Like, how would I go on? Like, why would that, why would anything be meaningful after that? Like, I'm sure it could be, don't, don't get me wrong, but it's hard to imagine before anything like that happens. And so I don't know, like, it's just, it's completely delightful that your mom does that, but it's nicer that you do it. And I, I'm also imagining too, it's, you guys have this connection now, even if it's just a text message at night in the morning that, that you, that you might not have without diabetes. Maybe you would have yeah. just been like, Hey, I'm going to college. See you suckers. And, exactly. you know, and that, that might've been the end of it. Okay. Exactly. So, um, all right. So let's get a little softball geeky for a second. <laughs> What's it feel like to hit a ball over a fence in a game? What, what, what is, is the, like, when do you, when do you feel human again? Like how long until you don't feel like a superhero after? Oh gosh. I mean, I think honestly, it kind of depends on, on my teammates in the sense where how long they celebrate is how long I celebrate. And then, you know, so, I mean, obviously when you're running around the bases, there's obviously no greater feeling than that, you know, rounding third, heading home where all your teammates are just as happy as if they hit it themselves. That's, that's where the true celebration lies, in my opinion, is, you know, when you when you see someone genuinely excited for you mm -hmm. and not pissed off because you're starting over them or, or whatever it is. Um, and then when you go back to the dugout, however long they want to celebrate is how long I'll celebrate. And then once it's over, you know, it's over um, and it, it's not a big deal. And obviously, you know, the next person goes and then let's say the next person hits a home run. Now it's all about that person for yeah. the next couple minutes. I love that, you know, I don't know how people feel about softball in general, and I don't know what I would know about it without Arden playing, but the amazing thing about softball is, is that the field you played on in college was the same size field you played on in Little League. Like, that field doesn't get bigger, but that ball does not want to go much farther than two. <laughs> that ball is basically designed to not want to go that far. And, yeah. and when you can really... Uh, there's a joy I watch when I watch my kids play like you know I, I think that people think that hitting is just this thing you do but you know you're trying to put the right swing on and get your timing right and everything and you're basically guessing when your hands start moving and when yeah. all of that comes together it's just it, it feels like the culmination of every practice swing you've ever taken right up until that moment like it's something you know exactly and, and I mean, it happens so fast too, Scott. I mean, when you're looking at a pitcher throwing 68, 69, you know, hitting 70 every once in a while, it happens so fast. Right. I mean, you swing the bat, the ball goes, and then, whoa, okay, it's over. Yeah. Like, that, that was quick. <laughs> like sometimes and, I'll say to Cole, I was like, that was not a great at bat. He goes, I don't know what happened. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I got up there. The kid was throwing 88 and I was like, wow, this is quick. And so he's like, yeah. I, I took one and I thought, all right, I, I can, I'll, I'll hit with a strike. I don't care about that. He goes, but then he came back with a breaking ball. He goes, the breaking ball had to be good 73. He said, I didn't know it broke until after I missed it. And I was like, right, right, going, and, and going, it's just a really, I don't know, like it, maybe it's just from watching someone work so hard at something and see it, you know, come together. Like yep. it's crazy to think that you could, I know it's such an overused cliche about, you know, that baseball is about, you know, you know, it's more about failure than it is about success and stuff like that mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But it's just, it's just fascinating when it happens 
it, it almost feels like it's a mistake when it works. You, you, yeah. you know, like like it, it makes sense when you strike out and, and you're yeah. a good pitcher. So um, exactly. So when you and I spoke years ago now, literally it's been three years maybe. Wow. Um, if not more. And and you said something during this interview that I want to tell you that I probably understood in theory, but I never put it to words before with my kids. And I have now said it to them and anyone else who would listen a million times since then. Right. And so you, talk, mm-hmm. you talked about, I used to talk about it like this. I would say, Hey, you know, I heard some mom talking about how her kid turned a double play today, but you know, they were at standing near second base when a kid who couldn't run hit the ball directly to them. They picked it up, stepped on second, threw it to first. To be perfectly honest, they could have rolled it to first and beat them. <laughs> right? It wasn't, it, it, it wasn't exactly a, a baseball phenomenon, what they did. Yep. But the result of what they did was a, was a double play. And so they run around yelling, I'm, you know, I, I made a double play today. I'm just, you know, blah, blah. But you said to me, at Alabama, we talk about process, process, mm-hmm. process over the result. I don't know what the exact quote is. How did, how did you guys say it? Yep, it was a process over outcome. Outcome, okay. And so that's the concept that you could possibly do everything correctly and it may not go your way. And Absolutely. Something may go right for you, but if you did it wrong, it sort of doesn't count. Yep. <laughs> right, right. And, and that's an odd thing to say, right? But but it, because you're in a situation where you have to do it again and again and again and again, it's better to do it right five times and it only work out twice than it is to do it wrong five times and get lucky once. Exactly. I mean, let's be honest, a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while, right? <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry, I took a drink. Yeah. But um, that concept not only helped me help my son get to a point where I think he can play baseball in college. It not only helped me with my daughter and her softball, but it helped in, in just everyday life. It helps with diabetes. It helps with everything. It really does. You can't just be thrilled that you walked outside, bent over, and was like, I found five bucks. Like you have yeah. to like you have to know how to make five dollars. You you, yeah. know, you can't just go, Hey, I my you know, I bolused at dinner and my blood sugar never went over one ten, it went to ninety and it sat there. How'd you do it? I don't know. But exactly. Well, I want I want to know like how to, how, to, how how let's 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 figure out the process and I just can't thank you enough for having said that to me that day. Oh well, you can thank Patrick Murphy. He's the one that said it at Alabama. Well, listen, uh, it, it, and yeah. I, I hear what you're saying, but I think that's I think that's sort of maybe a, a, an allegory for this podcast. Really, is that you know somebody's going to say something that you never thought of before, or you never put in the terms that they put it in. And when it yep. hits you like that and you see it work, tell someone else, you, yep. you know, don't keep that to yourself. That that's good stuff. You know, um, it just, oh, yeah. I, I don't know if I'm explaining it as deeply as I, I feel it, but it is pretty much everything. Yes, you, absolutely. You know what I mean? You know, like it, it really pretty much is like, it's, it's your intent. It's your desire. It's your work ethic. It's not. It's not lucking and you can't just be happy to, I mean, listen, every once in a while I'm happy to luck into something, but yeah, it's bigger than that. You know what I mean? It's just Absolutely. I, can you, when you talk about it now as a coach, do you see kids, do, do they feel it the way you felt it? Are you having the same luck passing it on to other people? I was just reminded the other day of how simple and easy it is to use the Omnipod tubal insulin pump. Here's what happened. We need to change Arden's pump later in the evening on a Friday. And we talked about it in the afternoon. Hey, you're pumped tonight. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, maybe after your shower. Yeah, everybody's good. And then, of course, we didn't do it. We just forgot. And there's Arden laying in bed sound asleep. And it's time to change your insulin pump. It has to happen now. So I went downstairs, I grabbed one out of the closet, I filled it with insulin, I came upstairs, pushed a button. When I pushed that first button, it shut down the pump she was wearing. I pushed the button again, it primed the pump that I was gonna use. This all happens completely automatically. When that got done, I cleaned Arden's leg where she was gonna put the Omnipod, stuck it to her. She's still sleeping, understand. 
a pinched up on her skin a little bit, push the button, and that was it. It was inserted. Then I peeled off the old one, wiped everybody off, stuck back out of the room, and just like that, pump change. Less than five minutes, in the dark. I had the light from my cell phone, so not completely in the dark. Five minutes start to finish on a sleeping person. And there's no tubes. I mean, come on. Nothing to do, nothing to think about. Very simple, very intuitive. Probably less steps than any other insulin pump on the market to go from start to wearing it. Go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box to get a free, no obligation demo today. You 100% will not be sorry you did that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's hard, um, especially since a lot of you know the kids that I've de- dealt with in the past few years, they've never been exposed to it. So, and, and especially with a sport like softball, you're looking so much at that re- at the results. You know, you could get jammed and you could hit like a little you know dinky hit over third base, and it would be a single. Well, in the books, it's a single, but it, was it really a great hit? No. Where on the flip side, you could square it up, you could be on time, and it could go straight to the shortstop on a line drive yeah. or, or whatever the case is. And so I think with me as a coach, I, I try to celebrate as much as I can for you know, the process more than the actual result. Mm-hmm. So even if you know, they do get a base hit and let's say it wasn't their best swing or they weren't on time, we're going to talk about it. And I'm going to say, you know what, you need to make this adjustment I get that it was a single in the book, but that wasn't your best swing. Yes. You know, I, I definitely, I, I, a couple of weeks ago, so I don't know how much people understand about the process of being recruited to do something, but there are, you know, it, it's a long process. And at mm-hmm. some points you get notes from people like, Hey, I, we want to see you one more time where you're going to be. And yes. so at the end of this summer, when my son was fairly exhausted and told me he felt like a, a show pony at one point, he's like, he's like, I can't go do the same thing for two days one more time. And I was like, right. and, and I said, well, we're going to do it one more time. I said, cause this coach, he thinks, uh, he wants you and he needs to see you one more time. So we're going to go to this showcase and it is hot as you can imagine outside. hundred degrees oh, outside, right? It's just the worst day. And I watched him have this at bat. He struck out and it was live pitching and he struck out. And the ball that he swung and missed at the end of the at-bat, I thought to myself, that's maybe the best swing I've ever seen him take. Oh, yeah. Like, right? And so we there's a break in the day, and he goes to lunch. A lot of them were campers, and they stayed, but we were local, so he, we, he and I just went to lunch together. And, okay. And we get in the car, and we're driving away, and I said, hey, when you get another at-bat today, I said, don't do anything different. I, and he's like, I struck out. He goes, I said, well, hit the ball. But, but <laughs> – Said, but but don't do anything different. I said, that ball that you swung at and missed was the best swing you took. May, and he goes, today, I went, maybe in your life. And I told him why. And so, you know, he went back and the dugout and everything and afterwards. And he came back at the end of the day. He told me, I, we, we guys were talking. And it's funny. You might have a son who doesn't say anything if you're listening. When they're yeah. in the dugout together, they talk like adults. You know, like, like, so they're talking about the pitching. They're talking about how hot it is. They're talking about the swing. They're talking. They talk about all this stuff. And so, he said to this this other kid, he said, "My dad told me to do exactly what I did when I struck out, but to hit the ball this time." And, and, and the kid laughed and said, "That's really solid advice." That's great. That's great. <laughs> but it's just it was it's still amazing that, and so for people who would think, "Yeah, but he didn't hit the ball," he got an offer from the guy who asked him to come play. The guy yeah. who stood behind him and watched him strike out. That man yeah. is offering him a place to play baseball in college because the swing is there. It's right. He just didn't hit the ball. And yep. you know, and so maybe not to draw too hokey of a parallel, but if if you you know, if you get lucky one night at a meal and you don't pre bolus and you don't spike up, it doesn't mean you don't need a pre bolus. So yeah. if you if you pre bolus right and it goes wrong, you still swung the bat. Exactly. The bat had a good path and it was what you meant to do and and do it again and keep doing it because you're going to have more successes than failures that way. And and I've been waiting a really long time to tell, to take what Molly told me about softball (laughs) and apply it to this while Molly was here. Um, So I don't know how I didn't reach out to you sooner for the podcast. You actually came after me because you had sort of a, 
I don't know. Did you have like a, like, did you have a midlife crisis in your 20s? <laughs> what happened to you? <laughs> no, I think, you know, now that I'm, I stopped playing a couple years ago and I still have, because of the article that obviously you wrote and, and there was another one done by Graham Hayes for ESPNW online, I, I've had people reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and to this day I still do. And I, I, and I get emails from people who are recently diagnosed family, so, you know, kids, parents, wh- whoever, and they reach out to me. And they reach out to me for inspiration for hope like how did you get here my kids struggling how did you get through it you know we've seen what you've accomplished we read your story things like that which it's it's crazy because I always thought and I actually went to the fellowship of Christian athletes last night here at East Carolina and I know I'm not an athlete anymore but I just wanted to crash the party (laughs) and and just go and I was thinking to myself you know for for years when I was growing up playing softball I thought that my goal in life was to become the best softball player that Molly Fickner could, to play for a national championship, to go to the World Series, to play professional, to play for USA. And, and honestly, what I didn't realize, and now that I can because I can connect the dots looking back, but you know, God provided all those opportunities for me, but it wasn't just for me to be the best softball player. It's, it's for me to show people that that are diabetic or, or the families that have newly you know diagnosed kids that the sky is still the limit for them you know they, they can get to that level and I think you know just thinking about it all the past couple months is I want to share my story more because I, I just if people are still reaching out to me not because of my softball ability anymore but because of the fact that I played at such a high level with type 1 diabetes and I can still give people inspiration through articles, like you said, that were three or four years old. I, I want to be able to help people more in that aspect. And I want to be able to talk and to give them advice and, and inspiration and, and speak to them and share my story um, just so that they know that they can get there. And especially with me growing up, I remember when I was diagnosed, my dad would sit there on Google and he'd try to find type one diabetic professional athletes, you know, Jay Cutler or or, you know, famous actresses that are diabetic. And I remember he'd get so excited to tell me about those people. Molly, guess what? Like this guy has type one diabetes and he plays professionally, you know, in the NFL. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. But it, it was it was exciting for him to tell me those things because you know, that was his way of saying, you can get wherever you want. Don't let this hold you back. Well, now looking at my resume and look at, you know, as fortunate as I was to play at the level I did, now I can be that person in the softball world for people. Uh, and that's what I really want to do. And obviously that's kind of why I reached out to you in the first place. I was like, how do I do that? How do I, how do I, how do I, I want to do that. I want to, and I thought, that's a great idea. You, you, you absolutely should do that. You, you know, and I do think that like you, you paint a picture of your dad telling you and he was probably more excited than you are, but, exactly. but, but it still, it still sticks to you. you. You know what I mean? Like you still walk away and think, all right, you know, guy's doing it. I could do it probably, you, yeah. you, you know, and it, it just makes you feel like it makes you feel like, I mean, I think what you're saying is basically what people hear me say on the podcast all the time. Like, you know, I figured something out. I want to tell somebody else, you, you know, like, like I don't want to just take this knowledge that I have and not, not share it. Like, you, and you are a million percent correct. And the people who are listening to this, whenever they end up listening to this, one of the things that I see most impactful about sharing, you know, my life being someone's, you know, caregiver with type one diabetes is every once in a while. And I think if people looked at the blog and even listened to this, you'd realize that I'm talking about my experience. You don't really see much of Arden in it. You know, she's not looking to be the focus of a blog or, or whatever, but when we share a picture of her playing softball, it impacts so many parents who were scared that their kids would never do, do that. Like participate in a sport. Exactly. You know, and just like we talked about at the beginning, if you get it in your head, a half-baked idea that, okay, my kid was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, that means they're not going to be, you know, athletic anymore. If you have that thought 
and then it gets propped up once by anybody who agrees with you, you now think that's true. Exactly. And, and, right, and now you need someone else to come along and prove that that's not true to you. And, and it's yeah. such an exciting moment when that happens. I guarantee yeah. you there was a time when your dad believed you couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. And, and, and then he needed someone to prove it to him. And now you're going to be able to prove it to somebody else. I exactly. It's really spectacular. It really is. I'm going to put um, Molly's contact information in the show notes so people can get a hold of her if, they, if you'd like to have her out to speak or, or, or something like that. Um, and you're down – where are you? You're coaching – yeah, I'm coaching at East Carolina University. So I'm uh, I'm in North Carolina in Greenville, uh, Greenville, North Carolina. And like I said, I mean, obviously, I would love Scott. I'd love that if you put the information up for them. Please reach out. Uh, I like I said, it, it makes my day to hear from people. And obviously, <clears throat> hopefully, I can provide a little hope, a little inspiration to to some people that might need it. Yeah. Yeah, so Molly considered writing a blog, and I think you said you didn't really feel like that might be for you, right? Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, I had tutors uh, in college for writing, so <laughs> it's not necessarily for me. Molly, here where you said down, do you not mean up? Oh, I do. So, probably, not, probably not that, but I, I, I hear what you're saying. So uh, my son's the same way. My son's SAT is really strong, but it's very strong math, and it's very oh, yeah. it's kind of – Slight, slightly pretty average on the reading mm-hmm. side and he was on one of the tours and they said there's a writing center here where there's always a teacher available and you could see him think like oh that's that's a good thing <laughs> so i can go ask somebody I was like, right. um, but no no i just think that you know you and i have had uh, occasion to talk over you know time and we've connected it here and there and emails and things it's just molly's just a really genuinely good person and you know what help short people like it's not it's not fair that you don't yeah. help short. now look here's the thing if you have molly out to your event to speak uh she's gonna have to stand next to the post right? <laughs> if she stands behind it you're not gonna be able to see her but oh, you know, i'm just kidding and so but actually molly could probably pick the podium up and throw it across the room <laughs> <if she wanted. laughs> so, <laughs> how um how how have you i saw a picture of you recently um yeah. uh, uh, that's of you and you did you play with more weight than you're than you're living with did i play with more weight i'm yeah, sorry like on your frame did you carry more weight on your frame when you were playing than you are now or do you just yeah the gear or what is it i i mean i i did i obviously was a little bit stronger i i stopped i stopped uh, lifting as heavy as i did when i was playing once i got done mm-hmm. um my my weight doesn't it doesn't really fluctuate too much um but i did lose probably about five pounds, which five pounds on a five, two frame is, you know, <laughs> it's quite a bit. You lost which, 17% of your body weight. Yeah, yeah. Which, which kind of stinks because realistically it's like, man, if I gain a pound, everybody and their mom is going to know, you know, it's like, something's, um, something's going on with Molly. You're like, I just, I eat a cookie. Leave me alone. <laughs> exactly. So I have gotten a little smaller, um, but I wouldn't say it's like extremely um, like that drastic. So I asked because so your your habits haven't changed that much from when you were playing till now. And is, is that the opportunity to to work out still just because you're around it still? Do you still? Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So I, I think you know for for us right now we have Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Fridays we have six a.m. workouts for our girls and. You know, we go every day, the coaching staff, we go. And then as soon as the girls are done, you know, that's when I go. And I, I get my workout in at 7 a.m. And I, for a while, I mean, I'm not going to lie. As soon as I was done playing and my workout kind of changed into more, you know, not necessarily hitting the weights as hard, but maybe more reps with less weight and, you know, more treadmill stuff, more walking, things like that. When I did that, there was a little change in my, my diabetes, and I had to kind of figure out, okay, now at what point do I need to, you know, what, what is my, how much does working out affect my blood sugars now, knowing I do something completely different than I've been accustomed to. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's about it. So obviously, you know, I try to work out with them, you know, four times a week, and then obviously at practices, um, I'm running around, um, you know, things like that. I, I try to stay young. <laughs> Is it fair to say that life with diabetes playing softball and life with diabetes not playing softball isn't that much different for you? It's my job, as always, to make sure you understand how fantastic the Dexcom Continuous Glucose Monitor is. Today, I'm choosing to tell you about the Clarity app that comes with Dexcom. I'm opening Arden's right now. It's on my phone. 
I'm just going to tell it, hey, for the last seven days, let's view the general report. And here's what this app will tell me. Oh, it's generating a code. And the code brings with it a ton of information. Now, this is just the overview I'm looking at right now. But what I've learned is that over the past seven days, Arden's average glucose is 116. I can also see her standard deviation. I can see how frequently she was in the range that we've set or out of the range that we've set, high or low. In addition to the overview, there's patterns, data, ways to compare, statistics, everything. You can go online and see it all blown up on your computer screen as well. It really is wonderful. Not only that, but when we go into Arden's endocrinologist's office, all I have to do is I pull out my phone and I open the Clarity app and I push a button. It generates a code. I read the code to the doctor who types it into the computer like this. And just like that, she's looking at Arden's Dexcom graphs and she has access to all of it. And I gave it to her. I don't have to give it to her, but I can. <laughs> Are you kidding me? How easy? So we spend a lot of time telling you that Dexcom lets you see your blood sugars, and it does, but it does a lot more than that. Right now, I know Arden's blood sugar is 97 and stable. Sure, I can click on something really quickly and then see over the last three hours, Arden's blood sugar has been between 70 and what it is right now at 97. I saw where it went up. I was able to give her a little bit of insulin to stop it. We're right back again. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. If you haven't already, let me ask you one simple question. What are you waiting for? Is it fair to say that life with diabetes playing softball and life with diabetes not playing softball isn't that much different for you? Oh, absolutely not. So, absolutely not. I think that's the takeaway for people who, who think that that kind of intense activity isn't possible. It is. And if you're not... Listen, I, I, I say stuff like this all the time. And I know somebody's mad at me always, but... If you're not having, if that's not working out for you, don't give up. It's not that it's just, you just, you're just not quite doing it correctly, but that doesn't mean that it can't be done better. You know what I mean? That's just, you have to, and just because you can't imagine how to accomplish that at the moment doesn't mean that you can't find the information that will help you do it at some point. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Don't give up. It's there to be accomplished. It's not, it's not impossible. It's just, you know, it's just you're not seeing everything quite yet that you need to see. And hopefully something Molly says or something maybe I say on the podcast, or something like that. Maybe those are the, maybe that's where you find those little things that, that are just the, the slight adjustments that you need, you know? So I just, I, I get a little, I get upset at the think that somebody might hit a wall once and just walk away from it, you know, and just, yeah. just give up. So. Um, oh yeah. We all do. Regardless if you have diabetes or not, there's always a wall that you hit. You just got to go right through it and keep on trucking. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, you know, you're 100 right. It's got it. It really has, it really has nothing to do with diabetes. It has everything to do with just being alive. And exactly, the diabetes is just your set of specific circumstances, really. Exactly. Um, so, is there? Um, so, how old are you now? Can I ask? I am 25. Mm, that's like the midway point of being like a real adult. <laughs> I know. I'm halfway to 50. Oh god. <laughs> halfway to 50. You're know, the way to 75. You know. Uh, <laughs> Have um, uh, is there somebody in your life right now? Or are you? Uh... Yes, I, I actually I am dating someone. I've been dating someone for about over two years. Um, no kids or anything like that. Still a little bit too young. Um, but yeah, that's it. Um, my sister actually she just got engaged to her fiance. Oh, nice. Um, so they they got engaged about a month ago, and they're getting married in June which is super exciting. And then one of my best friends that actually played with me at Alabama, she just got engaged and she's getting married the same month. And so I'm, I'm the maid of honor for two weddings in June. So Listen, <laughs> I'm let, like, Oh gosh, let those girls make babies. And then you can just look at their I, pictures. I was going to say, I was like, man, well, my, my relationship's on pause for, for another 10 months with anything. So. <laughs> well, okay. So you put two years with somebody. Did you, you were at Dartmouth, though, at some point. Like, did your relationship travel with you, or did you? No. So we've been doing distance. So she actually, um, she's getting her master's degree right now at the University of South Carolina. Nice. And for, yep, so just for the past two years, we've been doing distance. And, you know, obviously, you really get to know somebody when you do distance. And now that I'm in North Carolina, we're driving distance away from each other, which makes it very, very convenient.
Um, so uh, she'll graduate in December, and then we'll kind of see what happens from there. But, you know, hopefully she'll get a job close by. If not, no big deal. You know, we'll figure it out. That's pretty amazing. That's, a, that's really – see, again, it's what you're seeing about Molly is – and I'm not joking around. It's just it, – <laughs> I mean, that's something that's not easy to accomplish. Like, right, to keep a, to keep a long-distance relationship for that much time. Yes, yeah. is, is is pretty amazing, and you know there's so there's something about you. Right? Oh. No, 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 no. Take this for a second. Take don't 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 shy away from this, right? To, to because I've seen it up close. Like I'm to play a youth sport is fun. Like everybody comes out when they're five, six years old. Most people are like oh, I'm going to try this. I'll play t-ball. I'll try soccer. Whatever. A lot of people do it, then they disappear. Right? Yeah. Some people hang on. Um, in baseball terms, the field gets bigger, the game gets faster, people drop out. Uh, yeah. Some people hang on. Then they head to high school, it gets harder, some people drop out, some people hang on. Then some people make it to college, some people drop out, some people hang on. Listen, at, at Alabama, the, the, there's, no way, there's no way around this. If yeah. you're playing softball at Alabama, this is one of the top programs in the country, right? Yeah. And so, and so that, this is as high a level as you can imagine. So everyone has to try to wonder how many – you know how many how many walls you had to run through? How many how many times you had to say no to going out or doing something that you really yeah. wanted to do because there was that? This takes an amount of focus that is probably unparalleled for most people. And, Absolutely, you know what I mean. So I imagine when you were like, "Hey, where do you live in another state?" That's no big deal. Fly yeah, to Mars, fly to Mars. We can still be together. It doesn't matter. And so, do you have that? Like, is there much that you can imagine that you don't think you can do? I I don't I don't and I think I, I obviously diabetes helped me with that but I also think the way I was raised um my mom was very much like you're you don't have a bad day you're you're not having a bad day that's, that's not an option um you know you're gonna wake up every day and you're gonna be grateful and you know you're gonna be positive and you're gonna be optimistic and you're gonna be thankful you know for what God has given you and and things like that. So I, I think that obviously through her and my dad growing up, and I'll tell you this much too, is I had an f- amazing example growing up. I think I've seen my mom in 25 years have two bad days. And one of them was when her mother, my grandmother, passed away. And one of them was just something else that was going on in the family. Let's probably was your dad. Go ahead. Do what? Let's assume it was your dad's fault that their bed. I know. It, I can't. I can't remember what it was, but I remember coming home from from school. I was, you know, it might have been during when I was diagnosed. She had a bad day, but it was like you know two days that I've seen my mom have a bad day, and no matter what was going on in life, it was you know she just that was her, and I think that obviously rubbed off on me, and especially with the diabetes, and of course I have celiac as well. It's very, very easy to want to say, mm, I can't do it. I'm type 1 diabetic. Mm, I can't do this because, you know, I have celiac disease. I, I can't do this because I'm too short. Like that, you know, that's, no, why not do it? I, I just I just don't understand. I, I feel like it's a great opportunity to prove, you know, and I hate saying prove people wrong, um, but it's just a matter of why not do something when, you know, people say that I can't do it and, if I, to me, and I, I truly feel this way, I just think that winners fail and I think losers hide. You know, I, I just, I don't think that, um, I don't think that if you fail, you're a loser. I think that if you hide and you, and you don't go head on with what you're afraid of, then I, I would say that that's more of a loser than, you know, and winners fail because they, they go all out and you're going to fail in life. Molly, that's the title of the episode. You just came up with it on your own. Winners fail. <laughs> Losers hide. That's what this one's going to be called. Um, I I love your mom's attitude. I think it's important to say as we're talking that you are speaking to me. I have zero – I'm not a religious person, okay? And yet everything you're saying to me is how I feel about things. So however you get to that feeling, to that thought, to that idea – Whatever your path is to it, or whatever your your you know the dogma is, you attach to it, right? It, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. It, it's the it's the attitude that yeah. I, I can't be stopped. And once I'm stopped, that's that's fine too. Like like you you, it's easy to hear. It might be easy for people to hear you say that and think, oh sure, well she's got enough talent and skill to catch at Alabama. Of course she's making it. But that's not yeah. the point. The point is make it as far as you can make it. 
You, exactly. You know what I mean? Like do the best you can do and, yep. and don't give up on whatever scale is, is yours. Like, I, I don't know that that, I hope that makes sense, but we all don't need to be, you know, the CEO of the biggest company in the world to be a huge success. You are a huge success in what you're doing. Yeah. If you, if you've worked as hard as you can, got as far as you could, done as much as you could, and you somehow at the end of it, and this is really the key, are happy with it. Like, exactly. You know, right. Right. It's just, it's, it's all the cliches that you hear when you're five. Like, you know, I say this one here a lot. You get what you expect a lot of times. Yeah. So, so expect a lot. Exactly. Right, right. You know, and, and you have to, you know, people tell you have to be happy where you are, live in the moment, live in the now, whatever it ends up yep. being. It, that is really, that is really the truth. You know, you can yep. be happy anywhere. It's harder yep. to be happy some places than others, but it's still accomplished. There are, there are people right now that are flat broke and have no hope and they still are living happy lives. And, and you know, exactly. And I'll, I'll tell you one thing too, real quick is, um, have you ever read the book chop wood, carry water by Joshua Medcalf? I try not to read Molly because no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm joking. I have, but after you have children, it's hard to read, but, but okay. no, I, I have it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Actually, Joshua is a, is a friend of mine and he, he wrote this book and it's basically, it's an easy read. It's, you could literally read it in an hour and a half. And he, it's basically about how to fall in love with the process of becoming great. So it kind of goes off this process over outcome mm -hmm. and it's a bunch of little stories in it and I love it. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal and I would absolutely recommend it for a lot of people that struggle with the idea of how, how do I even, how do I like the process when I'm not getting the outcome? Right. And, and it's, it's very, very, very good book. And one thing that just reminded me what you said is, you know, everybody's, everybody's different and whatever makes certain people happy, it's, it's all different. You know, granted, I played at the university of Alabama, you know, I had a great career, but I guarantee you I'd be the same way if, you know, I had played somewhere else. Mm -hmm. and, and it's just, you know, comparison to me is a thief of all joy, right? So I'm not going to compare my ability to somebody else. I'm going to take Molly Fickner's ability as far as I can. I'm going to be the best diabetic Molly Fickner can can. I, I'm not, I'm not going to try to be somebody else that I think is better than me. Like you talked about the CEO, right? If I, if I'm working for the CEO and, and I'm an employee of that person, I, I'm not going to try to compare myself to the CEO and wish that I was that person. I got to, stay where I am and trust the process. And then, you know, whenever that day is, I might get that call. But till then, I'm just going to be happy doing what I'm doing at the best of my ability. And then that book hits the nail on the head. So I would highly recommend it for anybody listening to this podcast or, you know, obviously for you too, Scott, it's, and it's, it's an incredible book. Say the title again. It's Chop Wood, Carry Water by Joshua Metcalf. Oh, thank you. Now, I just, you know, I'm going to, we're up on an hour and I need to wrap up. I'm recording two today. But, um, but I just wanted to say again, you know, you just kind of said it so like offhanded, like winners fail, losers hide. And I think, I hope people attach that idea to something that they've heard me say here before, which is yeah. at some point, diabetes, you have to, you, you're going to have to get into the fight with diabetes at some point, right? You can try yeah. to ignore it if you want to, but all it's going to happen is you're going to have the fight later with complications. So yeah. if you're going to have to fight the fight, fight it up front. And if you're scared, yeah. you're scared. It's fine. But just, yeah. you know, it, I'd rather fight now and be scared than fight later and be maybe already defeated. You know, maybe it's too late. Don't, don't, fight when it's too late fight now and and maybe you'll lose some of the battles but you're in the game you, you, yep. you know what i mean if you if you if you duck your head down and try to ignore it it will definitely wash you over at some point yeah so, uh, exactly See, <laughs> well thank you so much it was awesome I feel great talking to you now. I'm going to have a better day because of you. Oh, stop it. I'm going to have one. I was so excited about this morning, too. I like popped out of bed, and I was like, yes. <laughs> well, Today's I, day. I appreciate that. I really do, because it's hard to see how exciting it might be on my end sometimes. <laughs> oh, no, I love it. And, and you know what's great, too, is um, I actually i am going to meet with the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. I'm going to meet with the development coordinator 
um, probably like uh, the second week of October. So I'm really excited. So hopefully I can get involved with some North Carolina stuff as well. Uh, you know, that's fantastic. And I just was approached to be in a, in a, one of the New Jersey chapters. Uh, I think I'm going to, I think we're going to do this podcast at like a type one nation event. Like in oh, front of like hundreds, of, in like front of hundreds of people, we'll do it live. So. Oh my gosh, that would be fantastic! So I'm excited about that. Um, but so look, you're you're doing what you wanted to do, and I hope that I can somehow help because I wish everyone could have been on the phone when I was talking to Molly a few weeks ago, and she's like, I really just want to help people and tell my story, and I don't really know how to do that. So. Yeah. Uh, we we chatted for a while, and I think that I think that Molly speaking to you is uh is the way to go. So again, there'll be links in the show notes. You can contact her if you'd like, and. This has been Molly Fickner. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Bye now. Bye. Thank you, Molly, for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. If you'd like to contact Molly, there is a link to email her in the show notes or at juiceboxpodcast.com. Also, in those same places, you will find links to the Omnipod demo, which, as we know, is free and has no... I can't think of the word. Oh, my God. I say it every okay. <clears throat> uh, you go to the It's a free, no obligation. There's no obligation. I really that just happened. Also, there's a link to the Dexcom, uh, you know, uh, situation where you can. I'm out of words now. That makes sense. Listen, so <laughs> if you want to find out more about Dexcom or Omnipod, there are links in your show notes and at JuiceboxPodcast.com. I genuinely hope you take a look. And now I'm going to do my best to let you know how Izzy Meehan's doing. As I said earlier, I spoke to Izzy's mom, Haley, today, and she gave me a a little bit of a rundown. So if you did not listen to episode 149, which is just a couple of minutes long, it was me reaching out to you to let you know that a 17-year-old girl living in Cincinnati named Izzy Meehan had a rather horrific car accident, and she was in the hospital. Her mother reached out to the diabetes community and just asked for people to send notes of encouragement because they were really helping her daughter. She was just getting a couple through the, um, <clears throat> through the community, you know, through her personal community. And every time she'd wake up, they'd read her some, and, and she was really buoyed by this. So I put the call out in episode 149, and I am really proud and happy and thankful to say that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you have so far sent Izzy a message. You guys really are the best. Uh, There's a link in the show notes for 149. You click on it, you go to the Cincinnati Children's Hospital website, and you just put in a bit of information. You put in, you know, Izzy's name, and then you send her a message. It goes to the hospital. The hospital generates the note, and they show up in in her room every day around noon. So far, she woke up one morning in a bunch of pain to 97 notes from you. The next day, she came out of hand surgery to 100 or more notes from you guys, and then more and more are still coming. Please don't stop. So take a look at that, if you will. Um, you can hear the, the initial story, which is very simple. Maybe I should just go over it again. Izzy was at school. She had a high blood sugar. She treated it. It fell the way she expected it to. She gave herself, uh, I think she drank some juice, I think, to level it off, and she thought she was good. She had a good blood sugar. She thought it was going to stick, and she got in a car to drive home. It was about a 10-minute drive home. Somehow during that ride, her blood sugar began to fall again, and she became incoherent. She actually drove 20 minutes past her home into a part of town that she doesn't go to and doesn't know. Reports are that her car was traveling as much as 100 miles an hour. Her mom told me yesterday that people said she was going down the street just clipping mailboxes before she hit a boulder. Uh, She was thrown from the car. Her Omnipod was ripped from her. She lost her Apple Watch. She lost her PDM. And she was injured rather significantly. Multiple fractures in her neck and her spine, broken hand, broken wrist, broken teeth. She lost her spleen. She lost one of her kidneys. And she has a significant amount of cosmetic damage to her body. That day, her family was told not to expect her to live through the night. Now, this is almost two weeks ago now. Each day, Izzy is getting better. It is a very slow, a very painful process. The bills are starting to show up at the hospital. Her mom is, of course, distraught, as is the rest of her family. 
but she has had a surgery now to have some plates put in her hand and her wrist that is preliminary. She still needs to get her teeth fixed. Um, she's very upset that they won't let her manage her blood sugar the way she wants to in the hospital. She is in a significant amount of pain, but each day she gets better and better. And your notes are a huge part of how she's staying upbeat as much so as she can possibly be. So the update from, from Izzy's mom medically is that it is a very, very slow process with a lot to accomplish. And they are just now setting up a plan for how to proceed. Uh, Izzy's in a back brace and a I think a body brace. She's going to have to be in that brace for quite some time, but she does get up, uses the bathroom, uh, is moving around talking you know, her mom and I spent a significant amount of time talking yesterday, and Haley said to me, all that happened as fast as she was going, being ejected from the car, all the damage that's done to her body, and just, you know, miraculously, she has no spinal injury and no deficits, no, no brain injuries whatsoever. So while this is going to be an incredibly slow and long process for Isabel, you can make the argument that she got really lucky. She probably should have died that day. So anyway, I'm going to do my best to keep you updated. Please, you do your best to keep sending Izzy messages. And um, have a great day. Um, reach out to Molly if you, uh, if you want to have her come speak at your event. She really is terrific. And uh, we'll see you next week with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.